You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. We are gathered here as advisors, as scientists. Welcome to Mission Spooky. I'm your fantastic host, JC, and with me today, as per usual, is Kiki. How you doing, Kiki? Well, hanging in there, man. It's getting hotter. Good talk. Glad we had this conversation. Yeah. I have like eight pages worth of information to talk about in this episode. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a it's going to be a long episode. Good stuff. You want to know how many pages I have to talk about this episode? Zero. Indeed, because I'm the host. So I do zero research. And actually, I did do some boots on the ground research. For you this did. Episode. I went. I went to this location, which is, and let me tell you, two hours and 55 hours away. I, yeah, I was going to say you went to the only location that was not on the list today. (laughs) I don't know why that just seems so absolutely apropos for everything that we do here at Mission Spooky. Yeah. So Kiki gave me a list of places that you know we'll get into in a few moments i mean you probably saw the title of the podcast by now so we're gonna do some episodes on abandoned places in pa preferably abandoned with spooky shit going on because that's our you know feel so i went to the scotia barons outside of state college pennsylvania home of the penn state nittany lions nittany lions yes go lions yeah, go go Lions. I don't want to get murdered by a cult, so go Lions. Go college sports ball. Yes, college sports ball. It was a long drive. I had my wonderful lady friend with me, Shannon. She accompanied me on this adventure, which was, once again, two hours and 55 minutes one way into the heart of Sheets country. And let me tell you what, when I saw my first Wawa on my way back, I I swear I had a heart attack of happiness. Like did it was you cry? Just, Tears of joy. I did. I don't know what people do without Wawas. Tears of joy of Wawa joy. Mind you, I also like sheets, but you know. I'll tell you what they do without Wawa. They go to Turkey Hill. <laughs> hashtag sponsorist. Yo, yeah. Or they go to 7-Eleven, also hashtag sponsors. Let me sheets, reach out. I'll I'll be your biggest fanboy. What whoever wants to sponsor us, they will wear your t-shirts like I'm an employee, but not do any work. <laughs> like wait, that's just on. like being an employee, isn't it? I work very hard at my current job. I think everyone at my previous job would be surprised to see me work at my current job because I, I work. I would be. I work hard. Work hard for the money. money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, be careful. Um, I'll have to pay royalties any second. It's okay. Just edit that out. Or don't. I don't care. Yeah, right? Um, Do I edit anything out that you tell me to? Yes, and you put it in the blooper reel. Oh, that I tell you to? No. You <laughs> right, thank that you. In <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a drive. Now, we took 78 to 81 to 322 to fucking I don't even remember. But those were like the big roads. We drove past like Harrisburg on 322. And Shannon and I got to see the miniature statue of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, good for you. That's cool. That is in the Susquehanna. Whatever river that is. I want to say it's Susquehanna. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. Because Schuylkill's by Reading. Yeah. So Susquehanna. And Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to see that as we drove past it. And it was was a real nice day. And you got ice cream? 
We did get ice cream, but that was much closer to home. That was at Crystal Springs Farms. Oh. Where they make all the ice cream on site. Yeah, I was also like kind of disappointed because I don't know if PA's going to be able to do the ice cream run then. I didn't see anything. It is. They're not. I don't think they're advertising it as much, but it's still. You know what? I didn't see. I think they might have just canceled it this year. Yeah, I was afraid they might have canceled it because of stupid COVID. Yeah. So you know what I did today? Uh, I I mean, I do know what you did today, but I'm guessing you're going to want to tell our listeners what you did today. So I'll just be, no, Kiki, what did you do today? I went to a bridal shop to uh, help my sister find a dress. Well, I hear they have lots of dresses there. Was there a specific dress she was looking for or just... A wedding dress, yeah. She's getting married? Yeah. (gasps) My littlest sister and my little brother are both getting married. To each other? That's weird. (laughs) Oh, no. I thought that wasn't allowed outside of... not West Virginia. (laughs) Sorry, West Virginia. We love you. We're just joking. One of my very good friends lives in West Virginia, who he may or may not be listening. So, hey, buddy, love you. Just joking. You're fantastic. Anyone that listens to us in West Virginia, obviously fantastic. Dude, no, West Virginia is gorgeous. It really is a beautiful, uh, beautiful state. I was going to say a city. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're so small. You're practically a city. We went dress shopping, and um, she bought the first dress that she really fell in love with. I think that kind of happens with most most of us. We go crazy. We go shopping. And then we're like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't want to go to anywhere else because looking for bridal dresses is really annoying and stupid. And um, oddly enough, my sister-in-law, to be, did exactly the same thing. She bought the very first dress that she tried on. So so ladies, uh, sometimes just, just go with your instincts on the first one. You know, there's no point in traveling around to six other places and it's just boring. All right, yeah, so we're going to, we got a long episode, so we are going to take a quick break here for our sponsor and for our promo this week, which is going to be a Legendary Africa podcast, which is a slightly factual, mostly comical African myth and legend podcast with sisters Theshira and Rashalia. Really great podcast. Love it. They're out of South Africa. Uh, So that's who you're going to listen to now. And then when we get back... Abandoned places of Pennsylvania. No, this is not a Lion King podcast. This is also not a show full of fun bedtime stories to lull your kids to sleep at night. This is Legendary Africa, an African myths and legend podcast that travels all over the continent to bring you the greatest, weirdest, and scariest stories from the birthplace of humankind. Join sisters Shira and Rashalia every Monday and Friday for a wild ride, guaranteed to keep you wide awake and in stitches. Learn about the mysterious werehyenas of Somalia, the heroic dragon-slaying princess Takane, the flesh-eating spirits of the Congo, and much more. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. We're going to talk about five abandoned places or lost places in Pennsylvania today. And the catalyst for this one is the nationally famous town of Centralia. But I was surprised by just how many lost places there really are in Pennsylvania. So many. This is going to be part one. Of however many it takes to tell their tales. So many others who are obsessed with abandoned places often find myself drawn to old dilapidated buildings and overgrown structures. And maybe it's like that kind of second sight that you can feel the residual energy floating around of what used to be there. Uh, I know, JC, you kind of love looking at abandoned places, too. I sure do. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you're kind of drawn in because there's like that residual any kind of energy at all, like what used to be there? I don't know. I just like looking at things. I don't know if it's a certain energy. I will say on my trip today. Okay, so quick, quick little thing. Just because of how you're saying energy, okay? Okay. When we got there, it's just trails. Like you pull into the park, your main gate goes off into three different trails. None of them are marked. There's no directions at all. 
it's just hunting trails like it's it's nothing official so it's just hey you're out here have fun i got to the main ruins via i want to say like six or seven forks in the path like and i just chose the right way every time and we didn't have to backtrack or and we didn't make a wrong turn and it only took us like three or four minutes to get there i felt like i you know was having some kind of psychic read you know like i just i knew where i was going like i was being led no i just got real lucky but it was kind of it was kind of weird even shannon who doesn't believe in shit she was like that was kind of weird i'm like yeah i fucking know so yeah i guess maybe i am attracted to feel the energy of abandoned places so the term for abandoned places is ghost town and that cropped up in the 20th century before then places especially mining towns that died off were called dead camps which is also a badass name and they were written of in guidebooks and memoirs of travelers in the west the word ghost being associated with a town that was abandoned for one reason or another first popped up in 1915 when the Saturday Evening Post featured an article entitled Ghost Cities of the West, written by Charles Van Loan. By the 1920s, people were using ghost town to refer to any place that had been abandoned. One question that I saw come up several times on the internet in different conversations is this, uh, can you move into a ghost town or abandoned home? And that answer is not exactly. There's no such thing as unowned property in the United States. If any property taxes were not paid, ownership reverts to the government. And when it comes to old or historic buildings, the penalties for damaging them or removing anything from them can be quite severe. Or you can wind up getting cursed for taking something like in Bodie, California, which we talked about. And speaking of Bodie, it is, for example, owned by the state of California or Centralia, where there's a mix of privately owned and government owned parcels. So if you're planning to go to any of the places that we're mentioning in this episode, know that you are probably going to be trespassing and we don't recommend that. So unless we tell you otherwise, there's that possibility. So you have to be real careful. And we're going to start with the place that you went to today, which is uh, the Scotia Barrens. And that is located in a valley in Center County, Pennsylvania, pretty close to State College, like you were saying. Mm. And uh, the Barrens are a unique microclimate that is cooler than the surrounding region. And you felt that, right? Yes. So my car will tell me what the temperature is outside. And there was about a five or six degree drop from about five minutes away from Scotia, the Scotia Barrens to the actual Barrens, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's cool. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> In the mid-1800s, this land was lumbered to create charcoal for the nearby center furnace. And in the 1880s, Andrew Carnegie purchased the land and used it to mine iron ore for his steel mill. In 1909, the mines closed and it didn't take very long before Scotia was a ghost town. While some logging continued to occur on the land, it was finally officially protected by the PA Game Commission in the early 1940s. And that's why you can go visit there today and not get in any trouble, right? Like there's parking area, etc. Yeah, I had no issue. There were no, no trespassing signs. It was just there. Enjoy. Yeah, so and technically is part of the state game lands 176 for anybody who wants to know the exact location. Yeah, just if it is hunting season, make sure you're wearing bright orange colors because it is a hunted area and I'd hate for people to get shot or, you know, murdered. Uh, so make sure you're, <laughs> um, you're wearing bright orange colors and not hunting with Dick Cheney. Oh my god, right? I know. I went I went way back to 2006 for that one. <laughs> Dang, son. What were you like 5? Whoa. Whoa. I was like <laughs> 15, 16. God damn it. Why are you so mean? <laughs> and in case anybody was wondering, the the town was named after Scotland, which is where Andrew Carnegie was originally from. Speaking of murder, 
there's a ghost story attached to the Barrens. When Scotia was still a mining town, there was a man named Bert Delage. And he was kind of a drunkard and had gotten himself in trouble with the law on several occasions, including one time when he was put in jail for a while because of involuntary manslaughter out in more western Pennsylvania. He worked at the mines. His boss died, John Bowdis, I think is how you would say his name. He was really mad because he felt like he was still owed money. And because his boss had recently died, he wasn't getting his wages. One night, he gets a little drunk, finds himself wandering around Scotia, unfortunately runs into the widow of John Bowdis, Holda. She's about 51 years old at the time. Bert and her get into an argument. It escalates, and he apparently slit her throat with a razor. He was a wanted man for a little bit. Finally caught him. He did confess to the murder. And he was the last man hanged in Belafonte Jail Yard on April 25th, 1918. The body of Bert was laid to rest outside of the Negro Cemetery, close to Marysville. And technically that's non-hollowed ground, but turns out he was buried at his family homestead, which was outside Maryville. So a lot of people want to make a big deal about this being quote-unquote non-hollowed ground and unfortunately because he was an african-american he was even you were even segregated in death so the family decided to just have him buried on the family land since then we've had multiple sightings of bert's ghost hanging around supposedly late at night probably because that's when he was walking home in the 1980s there was a group of hunters this becomes like one of the more talked about ones and it was actually april 25th that had happened. They claim that they spotted him floating around in the area. Supposedly, the hunters did not know about the story of Bert. So when they come back and they tell everybody that they've seen him, this, you know, apparition of this black man floating around, that people then were like, oh my gosh, Bert died not far from there. Now, the people say that his resting place has been lost unless you're a family member and you know how to find it. And that's because someone did remove the stone marking his grave wow that's shitty yeah and they're not sure if that was like straight up vandalism or it honestly could have been just a mistake by someone who didn't realize that the stone was marking a grave because it, it, it was very nondescript so the family doesn't want to immediately be like someone did it on purpose they may have just moved the stone anyway yeah guys that's the first one that's that's scotia barons did you have anything else you want to add since you were there today we are going to put pictures up on patreon for free that JC took today. So I just I want to state that I I learned something about shadow people because there's there's a a painting of a of a shadow person on one of the walls and it's really fucking spooky. But I was not aware that shadow people have golden dicks. <laughs> and I was just so thankful to be educated that shadow scary red-eyed shadow people have golden dicks. Oh Oh, fucking fantastic. Um, the Yeah, you accidentally sent that picture to me like seven times on my phone. No, it's, there are different pictures. That I sent you all the ones I took because that's how, how I am as a person. <laughs> but, the okay, so I got two sets of pictures. One set was just that picture seven times, the same exact picture. And then the second set was like the different <laughs> sets of pictures. <laughs> so i was like uh, did you, you really want to hammer home this this dick pic <laughs> yeah yeah god <laughs> look at that golden dick i, yeah, <laughs> I just funny, zoomed in on it the funny thing is that i did not even i didn't see the golden dick the first seven times that i scrolled through looking at the same picture it's not really seen in those pictures like it's covered behind the tree because so how it's painted is it looks like he's behind a tree and those are the ones we'll post online don't yeah. post the well we'll post the golden dick. i'm gonna post the golden dick i want people to know what the heck we're talking about but uh yeah it's it's a sight to behold that's for sure it, it definitely because when i came across it like i came around the corner and i didn't see the dick at first i just saw the shadow person i'm gonna be honest with you it scared the shit out of me because i kind of had fucking flashbacks when i've seen shadow people i jumped lightly not like dramatically but i was like oh 
oh, oh, okay, it's just a fucking painting. We're, we walked away and we're gone for 15-ish minutes looking at other ruins. And then uh, we're going back to this main building. And I'm like, how effing weird would it be if the shadow's not there anymore? And right. she's like, I would probably die. I'm like, I would definitely have a heart attack and die. And we go there and it's there. But <laughs> I was expecting it not to be. What a story that would have been. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next location, which is the most famous abandoned town in PA, Centralia. We're uh, fortunate enough to feature the song Centralia today by Woodland Creatures. And I'll talk a little bit more about them when we get down to our featured like music. Like squirrels and chipmunks and frogs? They have a really cute logo. I have to tell you, I'm going to have to get a t-shirt from these guys because it's adorable. Centralia recently made news because the Fox Coal Company in Mount Carmel was hired by Pagnotti Enterprises, which owns the land that I'm about to talk about. They began spreading clay over top of the famous graffiti highway. This section of the abandoned highway had become an unofficial tourist attraction, allowing folks to paint a little of themselves into history. And yes, sometimes add a few colorful penises in there too. Everyone loves drawing dicks. Everyone loves a good dick. <laughs> there was a petition to stop the process sent to Governor Wolf. The basic gist was that Pagnotti gave only a day's notice on what they were about to do and that they did it during the COVID crisis in order to hide covering up the graffiti within the news cycle. And it certainly seems that way. And I quote, the company states the reasoning for closing the site involves littering and liability, yet these same concerns have been raised since the 1960s. The petition read, Rather than destroying this landmark, why not sell the land back to the government or find another peaceful resolution? Don't let this tragedy go by unnoticed. And I have to agree that it appears that Pagnotti Enterprises is run by a bunch of dicks because this was a dick move to serve no other purpose other than to prove overwhelmingly that they are good at being dicks. Mm -hmm. That last name sounded real familiar, right? Pagnotti. You know why? No, I don't. Because it reminds me of Luigi Pagnotti, who used to work for Santo Volbe. Go back to episode number one, guys. Santo Volpe, the king of the night. And Luigi used his ill-gotten gains to open a coal mining company. And yeah, were members of the Buffalino crime family. Anyway, look at that. We managed to plug episode number one. I mean, could he just <laughs> like, share the same last name? Or are you saying no. like he... No, it's obviously a direct relative. You have you have facts to support that. We're just we're just gonna say this guy's a criminal. Oh no, 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 no! I didn't say that Pagnotti Enterprises is a criminal enterprise. This is exactly what the episode number one is about. That a lot of these original coal companies were owned by crime families that were in the mafia, in anthracite country out here in this exact spot in Pennsylvania. Now. Am I saying that Pagnotti Enterprises today are a bunch of criminals? No. But am I saying that they're a bunch of dicks for doing this? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I just, that's fair. I just don't want to be accusing anyone of, you no, know. No, 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 no. I'm not accusing them of, of being criminals. No. They just could have gone about this a much, much nicer way. And it's not like this company has not been in trouble before with um, the liability issues they got in some trouble another part of the mine that they owned where a guy drove off one of the access roads to his death down into oh a mining pit so i kind of understand the viewpoint of well I, we don't want people coming out and getting hurt because we've already been down that road before and gotten sued because of it but you can't just drive up it and then drive into a pit you know like they, they could have i feel like they probably just sort of sold it back to the government so to be kind of fair, have you ever been there within like the last 10 years? I have not been to the graffiti highway. No. Okay. So I have some unique information on this because I, I have been. All of Centralia is dangerous to be at. Like it, it's inherently dangerous. We're going to get into that in a minute. I'm just saying. So to get to the highway... Because it's not, like, connected to anything. You do have to walk there. Like, because you can't just drive to it. Because it is, like, closed off and it's separated from the rest of the roads. Right. Because it's not going to be used anymore. It's not safe. There were some safety concerns. I'll agree with their, okay, maybe. Well, 
it's been how many years? <laughs> and it's getting worse every year. But my point is then if you don't want the liability, sell it back to the state. The state would have taken it back and they could have turned it into a memorial almost. Now instead the whole thing is is covered up and it's a piece of Pennsylvania history that is now gone, which which seems to be a huge problem when I get to talk about two of the lost towns. It's all about money over history, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. No, that's fine. You- So 1956, Pennsylvania passed a precautionary law stating that landfills near strip mines needed to have special permits and regular inspections as they were known to cause mine fires. The Centralia landfill had been inspected and found to be a possible danger. The inspector suggested that the pit be filled with non-combustible material to prevent a tragedy. The Memorial Day cleanup plan for that year was made by the city council, although notes from the meeting don't specify that fire was to be used in the cleanup. Members of the volunteer fire company set up and created what they believed to be a controlled fire. The fire was ignited on May 27, 1962, and it's been burning underground ever since. The prevailing theory on the fire is that the borough's deliberate burning of trash on May 27th ignited a coal seam via an unsealed opening in the trash pit, which allowed the fire to enter the labyrinth of abandoned coal mines under Centralia. And for further further reading on that subject, I recommend David DeCock's book entitled Fire Underground, The Ongoing Tragedy of the Centralia Mine Fire. And I'll try to remember to provide a link for that from the show notes. There's a couple of theories also out there about what may have happened. One of them was called the Bast Fire Theory, and that was disproved. And what was what was that theory? Just knowledge? Yeah, yeah. The, the theory stated that the fire was actually part of the Bast Colliery Coal Fire of 1932, and it had never been ext- extinguished, and then it just finally reached the Centralia Coal Seam. But there were two eyewitnesses that claimed they were operating a bootleg mine nearby. And then if that were true, then both of them would have died due to poisonous gas inhalation by then. So there's also another theory that the fire started before the 27th, but that doesn't quite add up. And since the city council attempted to hide the nature and severity of the fire just days after it started, I'm not inclined to believe either one of those other theories either as far as it starting before i'll just give you guys a quick timeline of centralia so that you understand like how long it's been going on how bad things got so in 1984 the federal government allocated 42 million dollars to help relocate residents in 1992 governor bob casey invoked eminent domain and the residents lost that battle yes guys there were people who did not want to leave even though the place is burning and poisonous gas is coming out of the fucking ground. But this is our home, guys. (laughs) So in 2002, the U.S. Postal Service revoked Centralia's zip code 17927. In 2009, Governor Ed Rendell began to evict remaining residents. In 2012, the residents lost an appeal to stay, but in 2013, an amicable agreement was reached, enabling the seven remaining residents to live out their natural lives in Centralia, and after their deaths, the state would take their property through eminent domain. Okay. We know all about Centralia, but did not realize that this fire also claimed another town called Burnsville. Hmm. Yeah. And that was halfway between Centralia and Ashland on PA Route 61. Burnsville also began as a mining town in 1856. The last home in Burnsville was leveled in 1996. And according to locals, the only remaining structures as of July of last year are a religious shrine on a hillside, a storage trailer, and the structural remains of a garage. And that's Centralia. But you can go, you can go there. But you just have to be like super careful. And I'm not really sure because what I did find out is like I was saying, half the properties are privately owned and half of them are still owned by the government. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, you got to be really careful about just, you know, wandering around. Don't vandalize. And I wouldn't yeah. recommend well, staying never, there. Right? Long, you know, poisonous gas and all. My My aunt actually lives out that way. She's always like, yeah, you can come visit me and then we'll take a ride to Centralia. So the next one on the list is a place that I've been to many times, but didn't 
realize was actually abandoned, and that is Frick's Lock. Oh. My father retired from Philadelphia Electric Company, and because of him being employed by them, I had gone through Frick's Lock quite a few times. Again, not realizing it was completely abandoned at that point. When I get into this and talk about how Pico bought out a lot of land, one of the things that they bought was a lake. And if you were an employee, you could, you and your family could go out and fish in that lake. Prior to the happy ending that Frick's Lock actually has, the area had a huge problem with vandalism. There was also a fire in 2008 that caused damage to one of the older homes. Like I said, though, at least this one's going to have a lot happier ending than Port Centralia. It is a really strange name for, for a town. It comes from the canal locks that used to be there, 54 and 55. And when the canal was functioning, it was built on John Frick's land. And so they called it Frick's Locks, plural. The village thrived due to the canal and some of the buildings date back to the Revolutionary War. When the canal declined and made way for the railway, the rail station then was named Frick's Lock. So it went down to like just one lock. But when I was growing up, this was called a different name altogether. It was called Nuketown. Nuketown? Why was it called Nuketown? Because in the 1960s, Philadelphia Electric Company began building the Limerick Nuclear Power Station. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. The power station is built immediately across the river from Frick's Lock off uh, Route 724 near Spring City in Chester County. The station went online in 1986. During the project, Pico acquired all of the land around the station site, which included Frick's Lock. As residents were relocated or were bought out, the buildings were vacated and simply boarded up. In the late 1990s, Paul Frick, who passed away in 2014, he began compiling historical information that led to the property being listed on the National Registry of Historical Places in 2003. In 2011, East Coventry Township partnered with Exelon Corporation, formerly Pico, to preserve and protect the historic site. Under this new management, Exelon donated the land and 11 historic structures at Frickslock Village to East Coventry Township. So the township got it back. It was an estimated $1 million in property value at the time. In addition, Exelon has agreed to spend $2.5 million to stabilize and rehabilitate the historic structures. And now, you can safely tour Frick's Lock Village. Oh, see, I didn't go there because all the sites I went to said it was, uh, you know, don't go there. Except for their Facebook page that I found. Oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I'm going to suggest that you can go follow Frick's Lock Village on Facebook for tour information. The tours are free, but they are currently closed due to COVID. So if you're interested in visiting, please follow their Facebook page to get updates concerning tours at the end of the summer or into the fall. And there are many folks who used to visit this location when it was truly abandoned, and it sort of got a reputation for being a haunted hotspot. Apparently, a lot of residual energy down there, and now you can go there for free without uh, getting hunted down by the police, which was actually a really big thing. Like I said, when I was a kid, didn't realize it was going on, but there was a lot of vandalism there, and the cops were always out there, which is why when I wrote to you about abandoned places, JC, I originally told you don't go there because <laughs> there's such a police presence because mm -hmm. of all the vandalism, and then they had that fire in 2008. Yeah, and then it turns out it's it's got a really nice happy ending. Well, that's good. Yeah. And if you want to be a docent down there, they have a volunteer area on Facebook page that you can contact someone and sign up. So if you feel like giving historic tours and you're down that area, they'll be looking for people, you know, for next year. Ah, my two favorites. Your two favorites. These two are Scary. stories about drowning an entire town. Oh, how? But wait, how long can a town hold breath for? Uh, not very long. Oh, okay. Uh, and they, they both have grown up into somewhat of urban legends, too. So I thought these were going to be fun to talk about. And again, one of them, I've been to one of these places literally a million times ever since I was a kid and I moved here. And I had no idea what happened there. So that was kind of cool to read about. So I'm going to start with a little town called H. And not the letter H. It's said H, but it's spelled A I. T-C-H. Okay. Formerly located in Huntington County, the town grew as a result of a dispute 
in a way. Five of the most prosperous men in the area found that a new post office was going to be built, and each vied for the right of that postal code to be named after one of them, right? So they're like, I want the town named after me, because then it's like, I have a zip code named after me, kind of. Uh After a lot of arguing, an amicable solution was reached, and the town name was created in 1887 from the first letter of the five surnames of all the men who founded the community. Oh, nice. And that is Alman, Isaac, Trexler, Cresswell, and Harker. But that's just one story. See, the old residents of H tell a totally different tale. One in which the town used to be called Grantsville in 1873. And it had to be renamed to avoid confusion with Grantsville, Maryland rail station. Because this was Grantsville, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Here, the names of the prominent men in the area are still Alman Isaac, but then Thomas Crum and Halfley. And yet there's another story that has the names of the men being Anderson, Eisenberg, Taylor, Crum, and Henderson. <laughs> I feel like if I had searched just a little bit more, I would have come up with another set of names. (laughs) Personally, though, I'm going to go with the first list mentioned because that is also the published list that's in the book, The Origins of Unusual Places. And that book is available on Google. Uh, You can read it for free. As with the next town that I'm going to be talking about, this one was plowed under to make way for a reservoir. Oh, yeah, JC, you're going to love this one, too. Oh, am I? Yes. Nice. Oh, is this the one I told you about? No. I don't think so. No, but you're probably going to start recognizing some names. Okay. So H sat on the raised town branch of the Junietta River, an area viewed by 19th century businessmen as an excellent site for hydroelectricity. So first came the dam and then came the lake, which was sort of an afterthought opportunity to create a recreational area with everything from boat launches to lakeside cottages. Mm -hmm. But In order to build that, the Army Corps of Engineers needed more land, privately owned land, and so began the buyout of the locals. Mm -hmm. The buyout, though, led to a completely fabricated story. Oh. Uh, Yeah. One that told that (laughs) a tale of the landowners being plowed under by those that wanted the property and that they now laid at the bottom of the lake under hundreds of feet of water, their ghosts trapped inside drowned houses. This, of course, is easily refuted due to the original families saying that they were given fair market value for their property. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, of course that's what they'd say after watching what happened to the people that didn't fucking leave. Okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) They said they had ample time to find new homes and remove all of their belongings before each house and building was plowed under to make way for the lake. According to the park rangers, there's just one modern structure still intact at the bottom. The powerhouse from the old dam is there, but is deep underwater, so deep that visitors can't dive down to get a look without professional certification as it is outside of sport diving safety limits. There's also the legend of the Native American hunting shelter, and this one is true. Before the area was flooded, an archaeological salvage team dug up all the artifacts, which included bones, fishing hooks, and tools. This was a hunting shelter, so those were not human remains. The ancient rock shelter does lie at the bottom of the lake. And because why not have one more strange story attached to this lost village? And JC, you should recognize this by now, because this is Raystown Lake. Raystown Lake. Known for Pennsylvania's version of the Loch Ness Monster, the Raystown Ray. Oh, no. I am not going to get into that because we will cover Raystown Ray as a cryptid in a special episode that we're going to dive into over the summer. Oh, yes, we will. (laughs) Uh, So my second one is uh, a second lost town is Tohican Village. And this one is not quite so happy and not such a nice ending. Lake Nakamixon which is only about 20 minutes from where I live, was completed in the 1970s with the sole purpose for recreation and the state evicted 290 landowners and destroyed an 18th century village in the process. And this idea was brought forth by Maurice K. Goddard, 
then Secretary of Pennsylvania Department of Forest and Waters, Goddard was quoted as saying this to the 800 locals who fought against the eminent domain proceedings. It's unfortunate that you're in a reservoir, but it's God's will. <laughs> as in Goddard himself. Goddard thought that lakeside recreation was more valuable in the 20th century than the village founded by the Stovers in the mid-18th century. For over 200 years, the village was a prosperous farming hub, turning out stone ground wheat and rye flour for the Great Valley Mill. But none of that mattered to Goddard, who was determined to create 45 state parks spread out so that every Pennsylvania resident was within 25 miles of an outdoor recreation facility. Oh, what a good guy. Yeah, you, well, you sure, okay. <laughs> you think so, right? I mean, this sounds great. In the late 50s, he began seizing property and evicting residents from family farmhouses, plowing under everything, including a general store, tannery, iron bridges, a grist mill, a cave known to contain Native American artifacts, a cemetery, everything except the village's stone bridge, which now lies underwater. In 1960, the plan for the lake was expanded, further targeting Bedminster, East Rock Hill, Nakamixon, and Tinicum. Altogether, Goddard acquired 5,283 acres for the state park, making it the largest state park in Bucks County. And there's a great book out there called Our Lost Tohican Valley, written by two former residents, Pamela Varconi and Marjorie Fulp, that I recommend. Fulp's house was demolished, but Varconi's house remains, and it's used for park personnel only. Uh, she tells a little bit about that in the book and says about how they did allow her to come into what was basically her family home, now, you know, inhabited by park personnel taking care of the lake. It's just totally shitty. But anyway. The lake was opened in uh, 1974 to the public. The marina was officially opened in 77. Now, I did mention a cemetery. You did. And I did some digging. <laughs> and I found out that the rangers were quick to deny that any buildings remained under the water, that only the bridge is submerged. Which, by the way, is actually what happens in most cases with the building a man-made lake if there's any structures either the state or the army corps of engineers will just demolish everything right uh, and and the reason they do that is because they don't want any debris in a lake like that especially if it's going to be used for boating and recreation they don't want anything on the bottom of the lake okay makes sense, yeah, makes sense. however not one article I could find or any comment by any ranger on any blog site or anything either confirms or denies the existence of the cemetery still at the bottom of the lake. And uh, I, I asked a couple of older folks about how they felt about that. Like, do you think, having grown up in this area, do you think that or do you recall them moving the bodies from this cemetery? If it was really there. And the overwhelming answer was they're too lazy to move bodies. If there was a cemetery, mm. it's at the bottom of that fucking lake. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I was like, I can't, you know, that's the general feeling of people. And I, I feel like if there is a cemetery, because there is a, there is still a cemetery named Tuhigan Valley Cemetery. Um, it's very possible that the cemetery in question was something that belonged to the family, like it was a family plot. And then they were even more like, yeah, they they wouldn't. They would have just put the water over top of them. Who cares? So uh, Goddard is viewed as an environmental icon here in Pennsylvania. As he should be. But I'm personally not impressed with his attitude towards the preservation of historical sites. And the Bucks County Historical Society is quoted as saying this about the whole affair. The end of Tohican Village is a melancholy one indeed. Goddard committed suicide in 1995 by burning down his house with his wife in it. Oh. She survived. But well, that's good. much like Tohican Village, he did not. That's a little messed up. It is messed up. That is what I have today for our first episode and what's going to definitely be multiple episodes on abandoned and lost places of pennsylvania yeah i mean give me more reason to go out right places <laughs> especially when they're abandoned nobody's out there <laughs> yeah and i mean i hate people so yeah, i know. mean yeah i mean generally speaking except for our listeners i love all of you guys oh yeah 
they're fantastic. They're beautiful. And, and you know why I love you? Because you're just listening. I don't have to like physically be in the same room with you. And that's good, you know? That's good for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> Especially today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being in the same room with some of our sinners today. Oh, no, I'm just, I'm just some of them. I'm talking about COVID. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about what? I'm talking about COVID, <laughs> like being in quarantine. Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. Yes. No, no, we have awesome group of listeners. Yeah, you guys are very active on Instagram and Twitter, and I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, you guys are wonderful. So we are back to our normal schedule and how we handle things. And so today we have a musical guest, as I said before, that is Woodland Creatures with their song Centralia. They are a female-powered indie rock band out of Pittsburgh, PA. They've got a new EP coming out in just a few weeks called Rooted. And you can follow them right now on Instagram and Facebook. And their website is woodlandcreaturesband.com. As I said earlier, I love their logo and they do sell t-shirts. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be getting one of those soon. And when we get back, we're going to do our shout outs and Spooky Squad news. Hey guys, welcome back. If you want to join the squad, head on over to patreon.com slash mission spooky. We have tiers at the one and five dollar level. One single buck gets you our undying gratitude and a shout out on the cast and also gets you access to our pooper reels. I believe there are four of them. I have number five coming out soon. Yeah, I say so much dumb shit. <laughs> I'll never run out of content. Yeah, whatever the fuck the thing the five dollar level gets you um, access to our new movie reviews we have draug out already we did the witch for june you have until the end of the month to watch the witch and if you want to sign up for the five dollar level you'll get our you'll get our review of the witch by the end of the month and we had our special guest cord come back on and do that one with us so that was really cool and fun yeah he had a lot of insight to the witch yeah cord's a great guy you can feel free to email us any questions or comments on any of the previous episodes or this one. If you're a PA New Jersey Delaware band and or you own your own music and would like to be featured in the podcast, please feel free to contact us through private message or Instagram. Our email is missionspookypodcast at gmail.com. You can find all of our musical guest songs on Spotify by typing in Mission Spooky 2020 in the search bar. We are continually adding to that list. Centralia will be on that list. And you can follow us at Twitter and Instagram at Mission Spooky. And now you can still follow us on our Facebook page that I barely use. I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying to be good about it. Uh, JC, you did post some stuff, but you also ruled that with an iron fist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and Podchaser. Just be kind. Be kind to all podcasters. Okay. Do you have any uh, anything else to add to? The only thing I'm going to shout out is my nonprofit, the Swords Egg Society, yes. is co-hosting, doing a fundraiser with the Mahoney Valley Cinema, July 17th and 18th. That weekend, it's a Friday, Saturday. We're going to be playing Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. With with Costner in it, the 1991 Prince of Thieves, fantastic movie. Okay, we don't need your criticisms. I'm not right. saying a word. Goddamn right, you're not. <laughs> and then um, a superior movie after that. We will also be playing Men in Tights, Monty Python. Oh, I'm sorry, no, Monty you're not. Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> I know, I know what your nonprofit is playing and doing. Would you like me to help you? <laughs> I've been I've been up since 
boring. I know. That's why I'm like, so um, you guys are going to be playing Robin Hood, the 1991 version. And then you're going to be yeah. playing Monty Python's The Holy Grail after that. And uh, the cool thing is that you guys are going to be doing some bow and arrow demonstrations mm-hmm. with bows and arrows that you have made yourselves, which is very cool. And also some combat demonstrations, again, with um, swords, quote unquote, swords that you guys have made yourself because all of it is for your LARPing nonprofit called Sword Tag Society. So it is going to be a blast for children and adults alike. Definitely. Suggest yeah, going. It's a fun time. <laughs> See, I, I am on top of things for you, JC. Look, I've been I've been up for way too long. I, I know. I know. I'm doing my best. I know. Well that, see, I know that you've been up way earlier. So and you and you went out and you were boots on the ground today and got us fantastic photographs. So awesome. You had a great day. I yep. <laughs> You're like, yep. It was it was a great day. I had a good time. All right. Well, I actually don't really have anything to shout out uh, today. I think we're just going to wrap okay. it up and end it here because this is a rather long one. And um, yeah, once again, taking us out is Woodland Creatures with Centralia. And that is a single off of their new EP, which is coming out in a couple weeks called Rooted. Remember to go check them out on Spotify. Again, we will be adding Centralia to our Mission Spooky playlist. As always, stay spooky and don't die. But if you do, contact us. Via graffiti at abandoned locations as B. Neighbors live.